Welcome back. It's Swing Pass. I'm Adam Ruffner, and I'm joined, as always, by Daniel Cohen. It is Tuesday, April 19th. We'll be going back to our normal season schedule where we will be dropping a podcast every Tuesday and Thursday going forward from now through the end of the 2022 AUDL season. Today, though, we will be beginning our divisional previews heading into the regular season, which starts not this Friday, but next Friday on April 29th with Atlanta and Carolina. That'll be a free game on AUDL.TV. So if you're looking to wet your whistle for the 2022 season, there's really not a better game to get started with. Daniel, we're on the verge of the season here. It's it's rolling up. We are. I know. It's so close. I'm excited to start ramping up these podcasts, too, just because, obviously, as the season gets going, there always feels like there's so much to talk about each week. So, yeah, having another podcast where we can preview and then recap, I think it'll be good to get back into that routine. It's funny, you know, we started this podcast in week four of last year because we just had too many damn thoughts and things (laughs) to get out about each week. And we write and we tweet. But honestly, I think just talking to a microphone is sometimes the best way to communicate all there is going on. And especially in such chaotic kind of landscape. Uh, Yeah, it's it'll be interesting to really launch from the get go this year. I think it'll be really good to kind of get the the full run of the gauntlet uh yeah and, and today we'll be starting with the central and east division previews we'll kind of be going through just straight alphabetically by team and then at the end we'll be giving predictions as to who we think the three seeds will be for each respective division uh and then on thursday this week we will be doing the south and west division previews uh daniel do you want to kick things off Sure, sure. We will start. So we'll start with Central and alphabetically that would leave us with Chicago to begin. So the big offseason additions for Chicago this season, they added Dalton Smith, who previously played a bunch of seasons with Dallas. That was kind of their headliner addition. And then some nice role players they added like Scott Hearn, who played with Minnesota, John Jones from Indy, Jace Brunner from Oakland and Wes Groth, who played with San Diego and I believe played a season with Indy back in the day. Uh, nice additions, and but Chicago. I think their losses. To return did to Groth, Groth played with Chicago? Played one season with Chicago. How did I not know that? Wow. Well, welcome back, Wes. Uh, the, to me, the losses are a little harder hitting than the additions. So they lost Peter Graffy, Kurt Gibson, Drew Swanson, Keegan North, you know, like four all-star level talents right there. And then they also lost Nico Lake, who was a a key complimentary handler in that backfield next to Pavel last season. Um, Yeah, I think generally with Chicago, it's it's the biggest question mark seems to be their defense, losing guys like Graffy and Gibson, who were kind of the D-line anchors for a lot of last season, as well as Swanson, who was just a turnover generating machine, you know, those are obviously three huge holes to fill. And then I look at their backfield too, next to Pavel on offense, Keegan North did a lot of handling last year. Um, also provide a lot of versatility downfields. Nico Lake, like I said, kind of was the complimentary handler. 
So definitely some question marks on both sides of the disc. However, what we do know about Chicago is that they've retained the, probably their best three offensive players from a season ago, Pavlianas, Ross Barker, and Paul Arders, who just as far as trios go are right up there with some of the best in the league. I think all three complement each other extremely well with Pavel kind of quarterbacking the offense, Ross Barker playing that primary wide receiver role downfield, and then Paul Arters doing a lot of stuff in between, whether he's launching flick hucks or getting downfield himself. It felt like they really achieved the right balance between those three, especially as the season went on. Uh, I think they really hit their stride in the playoffs and into championship weekend. I have to apologize. Wes Grote did not play previously for Chicago. This will be his first time playing with the franchise. Ah, okay. Well, welcome I, I to just, I remember him playing class. for Indy. I guess he must have made a highlight or something a few years ago against Chicago. <laughs> and in my brain, it just sort of that I believe. rolodexed in the wrong direction. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think you do a really good job of giving the rundown of what Chicago has going into the season. I totally concur with you about their strength is going to be that offensive trio and sort of what they build around that. I think also it's just going to be a big question mark around a piece that was honestly, I think, why they won last year. You know, we talk about their offense being kind of the key this year. Last year, it really felt like for as consistent as their offense was, the defense's ability to get stops and sort of bring that team to the next level was what made them championship contenders. And when they couldn't Mm -hmm. find a when they couldn't lock down on Carolina in the semifinals game, you could see how their offense sort of having to provide all of the mojo to make it work was just not quite as, I think, convincing as some of the regular season wins that they had. And even the the playoff game against Minnesota where they go in that 5-0 run, you know, their, their defense went Cobra tight constricting the wind chill in <laughs> yep. that last five minutes of the game. Uh, I don't know if the union can do that as well. Now you list Scott Hearn, John Jones, Jace Brunner as some pretty interesting pieces. Dalton Smith too could definitely suit up and play defense. Uh, Jeff Weiss is another name that I think could be useful to them on D line rotations. Unsure how much he'll play this season. And that's kind of the, the long and short of it, right? Like they, they have some pieces who could fill in these parts for the departed playmakers such as Swanson mm-hmm. and Alan Gilan, I think in particular. Um, but you just don't know what you're getting from the, and, and that's, that's a pretty big hurdle, I think for the defending divisional champs, especially yeah. given, and we're going to kind of hit this as a dead horse, maybe throughout this segment, the central <laughs> continues to increase its talent year after year. And this is probably the most competitive central division to date. Just, very high water all around. Now, 2018 had the league champion Madison Radicals, but I would argue that just top to bottom and even maybe the top end of Chicago and Minnesota could punch with the 2018 Radicals. Like the the talent level throughout the league generally is just increasing year to year, almost visibly. Uh, For sure. So, so it'll be yeah, interesting to see how the union handle that defending their title. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know about their defense this year. I, I think I, I definitely have more concerns about the team this year than last year. Obviously, with the 
just a very different. You didn't have concerns uh, last year. I, I know it was a very it was a different storyline to the off season because last year it was all about adding these new guys. You know, adding Shrywise and Graffy from the Radicals, Keegan North. They were like just grabbing all stars. You know, plucking them from their division rivals, and now all those guys are are seemingly gone. So it's kind of you're kind of left with uh, very much a, a shell of what they were last year. But I am hopeful for some of these role players like Scott Hearn. I, I think he, he like hasn't been, you know, a, it was never a focal point of that D line in Minnesota, but he does have a huge arm. He brings great pulling ability. Uh, Chicago still has Jeff Robinson, thankfully. So hopefully that he'll remain their primary puller. But I think having some of that, that D line firepower with Scott's Hearn, Scott Hearn's hucking ability will help kind of fill that Kurt Gibson, Peter Graffy, uh, you know, punchy counterattack role. So I'm hopeful there. I think Jace Brunner showed a lot of potential with the Spiders last season. Yeah. And he only played like, what, four games or so, but had some really nice layout blocks and a lot of like running off of those blocks in transition, getting bookends. He feels like a piece that could, you know, help replace uh, Von Allen Gilan, who is also a departure for Chicago this season. <sighs> Um, I, you know, uh, that's a, that's a tall, I'm saying help. I said, I said, help throw. replace, look, no one is going to one-to-one replace Graffy, Gibson, Swanson, North Lake, Alan Gillan. Like, I, 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 I really... believe some of the offensive components can be filled in with like an improvement from Artemakis, another year with Jeremy Burrow. Like their their Maybe. core is so good that I think you can kind of plug and play around the offense. I'm I'm just worried about the the comparisons to the defenders that they're losing, right? Like Brenner is a good defender, John Jones is a good defender, Scott Hearn is a good thrower off of the turn, but Swanson, Gibson, Graffy, Alan Gilan, that I know. Well, yes, <laughs> that's my that's my point. I mean, they look. They still have Nate Goff as defensive captain. I mean, I totally. I worry a bit there too because I think him and Swanson really like <laughs> fed off each other's energy and and field positioning. Like you know, one of those guys you always want deep at all times. So having two of them on the field together was was incredible for Chicago. Um, yeah, I definitely expect their defensive efficiency to take a dip this year. And I, I sort of expect the same for their offense. But at the same time, I do believe in their offensive system of, you know, just the idea of limiting turnovers that everyone really bought into last season. They finished with, what, 13 turnovers per game, something like that. Uh, you know, I, I think Pavel had one of his most efficient throwing seasons, and I, I expect him to continue to be, you know, the primary distributor. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree. With I think the offense this year. Is... Last year, he he came in with the whole Chicago chat. <laughs> I know, and, yeah, and and all the yeah, training it's... videos in this year. This year, he's gone radio silent, and I'm interested to see if that means kind of a an even more focused version of Pavel. Like you're saying, he. I would argue right. that he had his best season in 2021. I know it wasn't as statistically so. yeah. impressive as the other years, but it just felt like whatever you threw at him, he was going to be able to manage. You know, Madison kept scheming around him in their matchups throughout the year, and Pavel prevailed, you know, by that final yep. matchup uh, in week nine with them. Uh, and I just kind of expect the same thing. I remember, and I think I've quoted it before in this podcast, but uh, Madison's 
head coach Tim DeBile has talked about Pavel is that, you know, for other throwers, he might build a wall and they'll go around it with Pavel. He'll just kind of punch right through it. And I expect sort of a similar approach to the central division for him again in 2022. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And look, I mean, he was the second, he had the second highest yardage total in the entire league last season. I think it's, it's easy to just sort of accept him as, as the star he had, he's been and currently is for Chicago. But I think, I think there's going to be a lot of, of added pressure that he is capable of living up to this season. Uh, you know, presumably a more featured role with some of those offensive departures mvp i don't know if i'd say mvp just because i always i always lean towards more versatile guys to get mvp what would it take all right i okay hold on hold on before you answer the question i'm going to talk some more i guess Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i just take it away i think at a certain point it starts to become a little bit of an award of what you've been doing too like this is now going to be maybe the fifth year in a row where pavel throws you know 65 plus assists or something in a season no one's even come close to doing that before i think he's the only player with four seasons of 60 plus assists and only the second player with three or more seasons i think mark burton had also had three seasons of 60 plus assists but if he hits five and he puts up another 7,000 plus yards of total offense and completes 96 to 90 percent, 96 to 97% of his throws and they make it back to the semifinals or even a championship appearance, like that feels MVP to me at this point, given that they would have experienced all these defensive losses and it would have kind of gone back to, still being kind of like a team that over relies on him. Like, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I start to think that that's, that's kind of that V that value, right? Like you don't, you don't have the union without Pavel right now. I agree. I, to answer your question of, of what it would take, I think it would definitely <laughs> take them. Yeah. I think it would definitely take them getting to championship weekend. You know, there's, there's little doubt in my mind mm-hmm. that, you know, if they get to championship weekend, he is going to be a primary reason why. Like, I, I don't think it's any stretch to say if he was not on their offense, you know, he probably adds, I don't know, three to five wins for that team. Five. At least. Wow. <laughs> right, so I don't know. Like, if you don't you. have Pavel, what are you doing? Who's, who's playing back there? Who's your quarterback without Pavel? Especially this year where it's like, yeah, no Nico Lake, no Keegan North. They don't really have. I, we were talking that about the show. I, you know, it's very unclear to us who is going to handle alongside Pavel. And when it's that unclear, yeah, I don't know what you do without that guy playing quarterback. We could bring up the true wild card, I think, in this instance, which is the possibility of Pat Shrywise coming back. He's kind of like a schrodinger shrywise at this point it like i feel like if you commit (laughs) to him actually being in that roster then he's not gonna show up but if you say oh shrywise is never gonna play for him then he's gonna play like five games or something against like minnesota and madison and like be a key feature in helping them defeat those teams or something like be there for the playoffs yeah yeah, he's 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 but no, we're not expecting it. We're not ex- we're not getting our hopes which up. Which means he's gonna play in five plus games and be really good like last year. 
I I hope you're right. But I hope you don't jinx it too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously, Pat was was a key handler back there, and yeah, it would be amazing to have him back. But we'll see. I I'm really looking forward to even Week One when they play Pittsburgh, uh, just to like see what their rotations look like. Get some um, I think there's a lot. There's a lot of question marks coming to this season, so. They should be good still, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the, I still think of them as a top two team in the division. It's so still in my mind between them and Minnesota. What's your win total at for Chicago? Uh, it's like in the seven to eight range, seven or eight. Do I have to pick one of those? So we'll we'll call it like a seven plus. I'm liking it. Eight call it a seven plus. I like I like okay. Chicago. I like them. I think that. Okay. They're Good. they're gonna have pride from last year. I kind of expect like a a general tide raising of some of their role players and stuff from last year. Maybe assuming larger spots. I think they'll they'll have a good system in place. Dave Woods is a really good motivator for them. I don't know. I I like Chicago. I like Chicago. Okay, cool. I like them too. I like them too. I'm just I'm you know I have more doubts this year than last year. So moving right along, we go straight to Detroit Mechanics. Uh, Really throwing a monkey wrench into everything in this division. Their additions include Johnny Bansfield, Nathan Champeau, Mark Witten, David Valentine, Elam, Chris Walsh, Austin Engel, Jake Staslicki, and I'm missing like a handful of others. It's kind of, as we've been saying over and over again, a return of all of the all-stars from over the years for the mechanics. They are sitting at a 50-game losing streak and are trying to break it <laughs> with all of their might. They have virtually no losses to their roster from last year, uh, Terry Gator and a couple other individuals from last year, but no substantial losses, I would say. And as far as things we know about this team... Uh, they have the most talent, at least since 2013, I believe, or tw- 2014. Uh, and the things we don't know is virtually everything else. Uh, <laughs> we have no sense of what kind of lineups they will be running offensively or defensively. You you think that Bansfield would probably be on offense just to get him touches because he's a true star, but he is more of a natural D-line player. Uh, same with Shampoo. He had 30-plus blocks for them, I believe, a few seasons ago in 2016. In recent years in amateur divisions, he's emerged as a really good player for the uh, the Michigan uh, club team. Uh, he could also play offense, but probably naturally plays as a defender. I have no idea what to expect from Detroit. Uh, like you were just saying about Chicago in Week 1 against Pittsburgh, I want to see Detroit against Pittsburgh in week one because I just want to know what the hell this team is going to be, right? They, yeah. they return Joe Cubitt. They return uh, Ryan Walsh. They return Andrew Shogun. They return David Innes. They return basically all of their top productivity players from 2021 and prior seasons. They have, on paper, players to get them a win. It's just... They're cursed. They're cursed. Like there's no other way to phrase a 50 game losing streak that spans three plus. They're going to break it. They're going to break it. They're going to break it. Yeah. They're breaking it against Pittsburgh. All right. Right away. Yeah. Why? I'm curious. Cause I, I penciled in, I, I penned in this prediction a while back on Twitter. So we have the, 
timestamp from whoever needs to track down that that tweet. But I don't think you've formally made a, a prediction, at least not recently. No. Do you think they're going to win? No, and I am claiming it because I've had to watch each of these 50 losses. I have chronicled <laughs> this nadir of professional ultimate uh, throughout its entire man. journey. I'm pleading the fifth. I... <laughs> I don't know about this Detroit team. It, it's the thing of I've I've now run it back enough seasons where I've had to do power rankings and other previews and things saying, well, this, it'll be different this year. It'll be different yeah. this year. And I've just yeah, said you have a different perspective where I, it's wolf to me at this point. And yeah, obviously, like love Jan- Johnny Bansfield as a player, love uh, Nathan Shampoo skunk as a player like. They have the talent to win a game. I just. You got to see it to believe it. it, Like, it's like what happens when they go up a goal or two and the other team goes, we can't effing lose to Detroit. You know, like, (laughs) well, right. I I feel And I think have this kind like, I feel like they almost came in too loud with some of this stuff where they're like, we're going to win one. And it's like, they should have just signed the roster like last minute this week and then shown up and played Pittsburgh because now it's sort of like all these teams going into the season in the central also specifically have the agenda of we can't be the one right that Detroit breaks the streak against yeah but there's I don't know there's a lot about this Pittsburgh matchup that makes me have faith in Detroit Uh, I mean I think back to the 2019 game they played where it went to double overtime and it was very much Joe Cubitt versus Max Shepard I you know I don't think it it needs to be Joe Cubitt versus Max Shepard this time but I also think Mac I I think Pittsburgh is uh, they have a lot fewer guys on the team this year compared to their 2019 roster just as far as like established AUDL vets um and meanwhile Detroit has added all these guys from their 2019 roster and even since last year have added probably four or five of their best players I would say are new additions this season or new re-additions uh so it's like that and then I think back to last year they had a lot of games where they they won or played extremely close for an entire half of ultimate you know like against oh, madison were they up at half against chicago they were up at half and what did uh, those turn into by the end well well right that's why i i uh your comment before about yeah if detroit gets up by a goal or two maybe then the opponent starts kicking it into gear sure there might be some truth to that but i do think they're going to be in better position to protect these leads if they can build something early with their current roster of talent compared to last year so I'm I'm in. I, I think it's going to break. I think one reason to be a little suspicious of Detroit going against Pittsburgh is that Pittsburgh has a couple of really good tall receivers in CJ Colicchio and the re-edition of Noah Robinson, which we'll get over in a minute when we preview them. But I think one of the dimensions that Detroit could still struggle as a team is just challenging discs in the air defensively. Obviously, they have a few more Players, I think, uh, going through their roster, just looking, uh, Caleb Stanlish, uh, obviously Bansfield can defend deep, Jake Kenev, uh, Steslicki, Shampo. Uh, like, they do have more defenders that can kind of defend in space, but Calicchio and Robinson are going to be a pretty good towering duo for Pittsburgh, I think, in stretches this yeah. season. So we'll see. And again, we'll get to 
uh, Pittsburgh in a moment. Uh, should we just line up Indianapolis next? Kind of the, I think, true yeah. X factor in this division. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's an accurate description of them. I mean, yeah, they've added Keegan North, as we said, added back after his year with Chicago. They added back Brett Matsuka, who played with Minnesota last season after playing with Indy in 2019 when they went to championship weekend. And then also also uh, Jeremy Keish, who played with the Soul last season, is back in Indy. So three pretty big re-additions to the team. Uh, they lost Connor Henderson, so now they're all out of Henderson Brothers. Chris Walsh has moved to Detroit. Uh, Kyle Romart is gone. Josh Venegas is also gone, who I really liked as a defender. He was last he year. had the second most blocks for them last year. He was nice. Yeah, Venegas, he looked great. He was pressuring a lot of unders, just one of those guys that can really throw his body around. I'll, he, I'll miss him. He had a Callahan at Minnesota that almost broke the radical spirit. Uh Radicals ended up holding on and getting a win at oh, home. Oh, in Madison, but, yeah. But uh, Venegas right. made a play in the third quarter of uh, their second, I believe, uh, game against Madison in Madison. And uh, yeah, he was a really impressive defender for them. But I think getting Keish back kind of solves that Venegas. Yeah, Keish uh, looked good, and he's Keish still progressing really a lot, good. I think. Yeah, he's 23, yeah, he... I believe. He's still... Super yeah, young, if like not that. 22. I think he might still be playing college ball. Uh, but he's really nice. Matsuka, of course, just about as thorough of a possession handler as you can add. And then North returning back to the Alley Cats. You kind of expect him to, I think, return to form when he was one of the better strikers in the division in 2018 and 2019 for Indy. I feel like he's going to bounce back a little bit from having a a solid, but um, I would say unremarkable Un- year with Chicago, especially Under- yeah, underwhelming game. for sure. I think it, like thinking about what he did with Indy in the two seasons prior to that, and right. specifically in their championship weekend run, right? It was like, oh wow, Keegan North is now going to Chicago that has all these amazing guys around there, and yeah, he I, I don't know, it, it felt a little lost. I mean, it's tough because he's an out of towner and didn't go to too many practices last season, so just kind of felt out of sync with the team. And I, I don't know, it felt like the indie system was really well suited for what he brought. Um, but yeah, just moving right along things we know about indie. really what it comes down to is the, the offense and the fact that the offense now looks very similar to what it looked like in 2019 when they had that championship weekend run. We keep mentioning where it's Keegan North, Cam Brock, Travis Carpenter, Levi Jacobs, Brett Matsuka, and who am I forgetting? Rick Gross. Rick Gross. Uh, so six of seven key offensive starters that season. And, I mean, Matsuka and, did a little bit of D-line too, but I think he's fully capable of taking on that O-line center handler role. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and Trey Dines kind of filling in as the Plue role makes a little sense as Plue was sort of the constant action and motion that kept everything sort of circulating and i feel like dines yeah apply at least the the sort of footwork component of that obviously he's not quite the thrower that keenan plue was for so many years in this indie offense especially given his connection with cameron brock but i think that dines and his athleticism is going to function really well with all those other pieces around there i know i've kind of not so quietly been saying that for a while (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you're yeah, you're driving the, the trade ons bandwagon. I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, I think he he's gonna slide in really well. I felt like he was one of their more consistent downfield targets last season. Obviously has a really, you know, high playmaking ability to his game that's gonna add a lot. Uh and yeah, so I, I'm excited to see this sort of blend of, you know, somewhat of a twenty nineteen offense with this uh, infusion of trade dines and, and whoever else they rotate in that maybe uh, you know they have a they still have a ton of younger guys on the roster that just have another year in the system so maybe we see some more talent more depth emerging behind that top line but yeah I said it before I, I think the this starting O-line feels like probably the third best O-line in the division or top three and could uh, just push right it up two I would say. Yeah, maybe, right, maybe too. Maybe they are better than Chicago, maybe slightly deeper than Chicago with the questions that we raised earlier. So, you know, I think their offense is in so much of a better spot coming into this season than they were last season where, you know, last year it was the the Plu retirement and the Cam Brock retirement. Of course, he came back to play a few games, but we've, and we've received word that Cam Brock is all in this season. He's going to play a full a full season, so I, obviously in all twelve games, he will yeah. score forty plus goals. Just, <laughs> just etch it in with stone somewhere. Put a yeah. period after. So, so yeah, that's that's gonna be huge. Obviously, um, just things we don't know about this team is is exactly how they're gonna stack up compared to that twenty nineteen version. Obviously, twenty nineteen was when they felt like everything was coming together super well. I think they had a lot of talent on defense too that year and, and Nick Hutton had a great year and I just felt like they felt like a very cohesive team more so than they had in previous seasons. Uh, and, you know, I think it's tough after having a year like they did last year where it, it sort of just felt, I mean, you, you know, the only team they beat last year was Detroit. They beat them four times uh, and came close against Madison, Minnesota, Chicago, but you know, just felt like definitely a tier below. Uh, and, you know, how they come back from that drop-off, just record-wise and, and division finish, um, it's going to just tell a lot about, you know, the sort of the mental energy of this team and collective culture. But I, I do really think Cam Brock being back and you know, just having that core back in place with Brock, Carpenter, Jacobs, Gross, guys that have been around for a while, North reintegrating, uh, you know, I, I'm... I'd be excited for them. I think they're well set up for some success this season. Here's a thought. Keegan North is kind of uh, Indy's Paul Arters. He he has kind of sure. throws and playmaking ability that change the dimensions of the field a little bit for their otherwise pretty straightforward offensive attacks. You know, with Chicago, mm-hmm. it's sort of the bread and butter of Giannis to Barker. And with Indy, it's sort of getting the disc out to a continuation thrower and finding uh, gross or Brock in the end zone. Uh, that's, yeah. that's kind of how they like to play. But with Arters in Chicago, his, his flicks and the way in which he can put shape and sort of a velocity on them and arc them over defenses is very sort of similar to Keegan North's hammers and sort of yep. blade throws that he used so, so well for Indianapolis in 2018 and 2019. I cannot think of the number of times they would kind of go to him in red zone sets and let him just go to work with his over-the-top throws and giving goes and kind of letting him run the show in those tighter spaces. And 
I think if he yeah. can return to that and they get, you know, again, Cameron Brock back in there, it just it feels like Indy's ability to con- simply punch in possessions when they need it will be a very strong emphasis for them all season. Like they are, mm-hmm. they're good at converting against Madison. Like they're a team that doesn't necessarily flinch going up against Madison's defense. They will just kind of run their sets. And and I think that's a huge credit to them going into this season. I, I've kind of got them at like five plus wins. Like I don't, I don't know who exactly and when they're going to get an upset against Minnesota, Madison, or Chicago, but it's coming. Yeah, I think I could see them winning a couple games this season against those three teams. You know, I think they're this is a significantly better team than we saw from them last year, and they did play those teams close in several games. So, yeah, it would not surprise me if they won more than five games this season. I, it feels pretty realistic in my mind to put them at like, you know, right at five and seven, maybe six and six. So I still don't know if they're quite at playoff level. Uh, but, you know, I, I, in my mind, it's kind of between them and Madison for that three spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that that's that's right where I would put them to. Yeah. Moving along, uh, we've got the Madison Radicals up next. Uh, additions include the re-signing of Thomas Coolidge, who did not play for them in 2021. One of their kind of top handler defenders historically. Uh, he returns to the team and kind of helps re-solidify, I think, their defensive rotations even more for a defense that perennially ranks within the top three every year. Uh, usually is the highest in break percentage. And I think this year they're probably going to have even a better D-line attack than last year. Um, I think Coolidge's uh, addition, as well as sort of the reshift of Logan Pruis back to his true D-line role, will really give that D-line counterattack for the Radicals even more potency, which is kind of a reason why I think they have a lot of promise going into this year. Um, as far as their losses go... They lost Rami Poust to divisional rivals Minnesota and Chris Weiland to a move slash semi-retirement. We'll see if he ends up in a roster somewhere else at some point. Uh, the things we know about this team, defense, defense, defense. Uh, the Radicals will once again have a top five defense this year. They return virtually every starter, including team captain Kevin Pettit-Scantling, uh, who will be flanked by, you know, just up and down smart athletic uh, radicals defenders as they do every year. Um, the things we don't know is can sort of the additions and shifts and tweaks and everything to this roster without any kind of superstar insertion or big name addition, move this offense finally back into the top 10 in terms of scoring and or efficiency. Uh, Radicals, of course, have missed the postseason each of the last two seasons, and a big reason why is because they've been sort of clunky on offense. Uh, There are times when they look like they have a pretty good attack, but a lot of times it's looked uh, out of sync and, frankly, lacking a little bit of potency. Uh, They're pretty good in the red zone. They're pretty good in some of their small ball sets, but when it comes to taking advantage of teams in space and things, I think that they've lacked in that dimension and so they've added a a thrower Kai Marcus who played at UNC who the team feels really highly about kind of in a 
a Rami Poust role of a big thrower looking to sort of stretch the field vertically. Uh, there, there's talks of Andrew Meshnik playing now on offense and kind of being a, a hybrid-ish backfield facilitator. The, the Madison offense traditionally likes to run sort of a, a cycling option as like a, a reset. They traditionally run just two handlers with the option for somebody to come in as a third. Meshna could facilitate in that role. But again, it's just, it's a lot of, to me, it feels a little bit like cooking the same thing as years past and using slightly different spices (laughs) and convincing yourself it's a totally new meal, right? Like there's, these aren't bad pieces, but there's also like no real new pieces to Madison. And so what is to suppose that there's suddenly going to, figure everything out here for, you know, what might be the third year of offensive mediocrity. Right. Well, and their two biggest losses, Rami Paus and Chris Weiland were some key offensive players for them last year. So yeah, it's, it's all going to come down to the offense. Of course, the defense should remain in the top five in the league. Uh, I think you've probably heard these same rumblings or rumors that there's a chance KPS might slot in a bit more on offense or Sterling Kanaki, who, have both Sterling, been probably Sterling is the one that I've heard and what I'm most excited about. It's it's sort of the receiver I think that they've lacked for a couple of years ever since Graffy yeah. has moved on, where they can just sort of go to him if they have doubts, put it up to Kanaki. Similarly to how he was an island defensively for so many years, I think he might be sort of a a bailout option and just a truck. He was. He was really good last year in spot time receiving roles, especially in D-line counterattacks. And when he gets ahead of steam and just kind of wants to run people down, he's hard to stop. And so I'm interested to see how he'll do on offense, but there's just, you know, there's no, there's no track record here. You know, there's right. They're, they're returning all the pieces that have worked historically. And yet it's an, a lineup that we've never seen together, you know? Yeah. I I think, you know, having a guy like, like Vic back there in the handler set is going to be huge for their consistency and just overall gelling of that offense. But yeah, it's just a lot of, a lot of question marks. I think the fact that they do have a guy like Kanaki, like if he's playing full-time O-line, I think that's a fantastic move for this team. Uh, just because, like you said, they you know they've been missing that that a one downfield receiver probably since Colin Camp left the team, and you know it just feels like there's still a lot of holes on offense. And I agree with you; it's it's just kind of one giant question mark at this point. But I don't know. Do you do you pull KPS over to offense in the hopes of like you know just sparking something and and trying to get a little more cohesive of a unit going, or is that something maybe you adjust to after starting him off on D line? It feels like it's going to be a, it could be an experimental year for the offense, or I feel like it, it should be, you know? Really? I think from everything that I've heard that it's going to be one of the less experimental. I think that they're going back to basics. I think that they're kind of, clearing out a little bit more and letting Victor Luo do his thing, letting him throw and go and using sort of the lefty ability to unlock the field. 
Um, I think that they're going to simplify a little bit by clearing out again downfield for Sterling Kanaki. I think that they're going to be a little bit more up-tempo than they've been in the past, but at the same time, super-duper patient, as the Radicals always are, or want to be. Um, they view offensive drives as kind of simple math games, right? Like they just need to convert a certain percentage and then their defense does their job and they win games. And so I, I don't know. I just, I think that that's I guess good what... in some ways, but I don't like, again, as, as we brought up and we'll bring up again, uh, the talent is rising around the division. They have the same players. What's something's got to give a little bit. Like, is everyone going to take a step forward on Madison? Is is Jacob Wom going to emerge as something special for them? He showed some potential last year to make plays in big moments. Uh, Nico Ranabat, too. You know, they they have some right. nice pieces. It's just nothing has really solidified into, you know, some of the, the young talent you see on, say, like the DC Breeze with, Reese Bergeron sort of emerging every other week to make like a sports center level block or something like they're just, there isn't quite that level of, I think raised ceiling for Madison's future right now, right now. Yeah. There's been no, no consistent development from those young guys. Like they're, they're getting some talented young players, but it doesn't feel like they're taking any big steps year to year. We'll see. They they had a massive rookie class last year, and we'll see if that can kind of continue to bloom. Yeah. And, you know, there's still a lot of players within their prime up and down this Radicals roster, but we should continue. Yeah, I guess, sure, real quick, I what sure. I always come back to is the fact that their their D-line converted at a higher rate than their O-line last year. Like, on, on defensive possessions, they were more likely to get the break than they were to convert an offensive hold. So I... I, like I hear what you're saying about you know trying to implement an offense right off the bat and just stick to it and go back to basics, but at the same time, like if they if they're seeing if they're seeing the same trend early in the season where it's like they've got basically too much talent on defense, I feel like you just gotta start moving some of those guys over and just hope to increase that offensive efficiency because we've we've said it before this. What really is an offense-driven league, and you kind of have to have a good offense to remain competitive. I guess what makes you think that shifting KPS over to offense will automatically yield a higher offensive efficiency? Not, not automatically. I would just, just, I would, I would approach it. I would approach it from an experimental standpoint. Not a panic button, but like, let's see what happens when we move. We look, I. Go back to what Peter Graffy was doing, you know, playing D-line throughout his entire career and then finally switching over to offense and becoming this offensive stud. I think there's potential for KPS to do that based on his playmaking ability and just his development as a player that we've seen. I, so, well, yes, I love him on D-line. I think, I, think there's I, think, a, I think there's a world where he could be more impactful playing offense. Look, earlier you put a name next to Von Allen Gilans that I wouldn't necessarily do in the same sentence, and I feel like you may be doing a little bit something similar with Peter Graffi's sort of singular ability to exist as an offensive and defensive hybrid and be able to flow as a playmaker between lines. I think KPS is a fantastic player. I just, Graffy showed his ability to do that consistently for years. You know, I, I think KPS has shown that he can be a terrific lockdown defender and somebody who leads those D-line counterattacks. But 
we haven't seen him in in an offensive role at the Radicals really ever. You know, like Graffy did fill in a lot on offensive possessions, even as he was a defender. Yeah. Whatever. I again, <laughs> I'd approach it more experimentally. I that's yeah. just a that would be my philosophy if I was coaching this team. But I'm not going to question Tim DeBile's decisions. So do you want to move on to Minnesota? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can we can move on to Minnesota. So Minnesota, big splashy additions included Abe Coffin, who came over from Dallas, Rami Pouse, they got from Madison. Quinn Snyder is back with the team. He is a Canadian who wasn't able to play with the team last season due to the border closures because of COVID. So he's back. They also added Sam Ward from Dallas, a role player who's been down there for a couple seasons. Marty Adams, I believe, is a rookie this season who's been pretty successful in the Minnesota Ultimate scene, as well as Tristan Van de Mortel. Is that how you pronounce his last name? Uh, another rookie that uh, I think both those guys have a chance to be impact players for a very deep Minnesota team that lost Brett Matsuka to Indy. They also lost Charlie McCutcheon, who was one of their top defenders last season. He is going to be playing with Carolina this year. Charles Weinberg is gone to New York. The classic Minnesota to New York movement continues. And the aforementioned Scott Hearn who is playing with Chicago this season is no longer in Minnesota. Um, so, you know, things we know about this team, Cole Jurek, Nick Vogt, Quinn Snyder. I think there's pretty little doubt that is the most talented receiving trio in the division. Maybe you can make an argument if you want to handpick a, a few of the indie guys. Like if you want to say North gross Brock or throw Jacobs in that conversation. But I think, Jurek, Vote, and Snyder really have like this explosive downfield potential to all of their games. And Jurek obviously is a, a force throwing the disc downfield as well as receiving. Um, so I think just as far as that that receiving core goes, that primary cutting core, they're going to be in great shape. I also expect Abe Coffin to get downfield somewhat, but that kind of brings us to the things we don't know is what their primary handling set is going to look like because they've returned guys like Josh Klain, Andrew Roy, they've added Abe Coffin, they have Will Brandt, who is a super promising rookie, a young, you know, 19 or 20-year-old from Minnesota, back with the team this year. They have a lot of options. Um, Rami Powis. Haven't even mentioned, yeah, Rami Powis. Haven't even mentioned Brian Venuka, who probably won't handle, but could slot into that cutting core, could slot in on defense. You know, it's a similar thing that we've talked about with teams like DC or even New York, where they have this embarrassment of riches and it's just going to be on their coaching staff, how to optimize these rotations throughout the season. So definitely some question marks, but they're good questions to have. Uh, You know, I, I think Abe Coffin probably slots into somewhat of a primary handling role, but he also feels like a good fill piece for the Charles Weinberg role where, you know, just that like primary initiating cutter that will often look deep or can help out in the backfield if the offensive flow is putting him in that situation. That feels like a pretty big upgrade in the middle of the field, regardless of where Coffin plays. Uh, I'm really curious to see what they do with Rami Pouse because, you know, he had such a productive season with Madison last year, but I, I don't know. It felt like he he's kind of that like big throw 
gunslinger type, and they sort of already have that in Josh Klan. And so, Rocco Linehan, who I... And Rocco Linehan, that's right. Yeah, who I think he's captaining the team this he year. Is. I'm so really like, intrigued yeah. for him in year two. He had 40-plus scores last year as a rookie and was, you know, quick trigger, gunslinger. So yeah. that midfield striker where he had the range as a thrower to really stretch the field, but his athleticism kind of lends him more as a receiver. I, I think he's a really interesting part of this offense. Sorry, continue. No, definitely. I, I agree. I think the it feels like they run 14 deep easily on guys they can plug in to offense. It's just a matter of who's sliding over on defense, you know, how much firepower are they moving over there they did lose brett matsuka who was kind of the leader of their d-line counterattack last season so you know maybe you move a guy like andrew roy over to the d-line just to have a steady handling presence on that side of the desk but you know i similar to how i would want to experiment with madison's offense i think minnesota probably will do a good amount of switching up rotations particularly early in the season just to figure out what what these optimal lineups look like, both on offense and defense. One uh, one disconcerting number from last year for the wind chill that is kind of peculiar, giving their handler talent and the just offensive, I think, power. Uh, they were, I believe, like tenth or eleventh in red zone conversion, uh, under eighty percent for the year. And it'll be interesting mm. to see as they add all of this talent if that will help that number improve. Because I feel like. That was huge in that Chicago game in the playoffs. You know, Minnesota yeah. sort of inability to convert in those opportunity moments where, you know, they need to score. They're right there on the goal line. Uh, it feels like to have a below 80% number uh, for red zone conversion can be a little alarming for a contender team. Yeah, yeah, definitely room to grow there. I wonder if part of that was... I, I I don't think of them as a team with a lot of, like, aggressiveness in the red zone. You know, like, I feel like Roy was very content to swing the disc. They they played with a very patient offense a lot of the time, and I wonder if that came back to bite them in some sense. Like, I felt like they were at their optimal efficiency when they were doing something like hitting Weinberg on an under, who was then launching it to vote or Jurek in the deep space. This is true. And that's even kind of what they were stuck on in those final points of the playoff game was continually trying to go deep. You know, I think of the goth. Right, right. Outside of the moon, uh, eclipse block, (laughs) where he just stifled a clane bomb that was intended for Jurek. Uh, You know, it's like if they can't kind of go into that long range bombardment, they it's it's odd because I thought that the best iteration of their offense was in week one and in the beginning of the season when they were ironically enough without Klain and were working mostly through Roy Brandt and Tony Paletto. Uh, mm-hmm. Those three's ability yeah. to just possess the disc and to kind of, if they needed to shift from one side of the field to the other and really play the width and use their legs and sort of just, death by a thousand paper cuts a very good radicals team i i don't know like i as much as i understand that you want to get the disc downfield the jurek vote and snyder in a hurry and let them make plays i feel like sometimes the possession-based minnesota offense is their best way to go and i wonder if they kind of like have different rotations this year rather than just 
going one game with one approach and then another game with sort of a different approach as they did last year with injuries and availability, maybe like Mm -hmm. mixing in those to a particular game, you have your sort of vertical attack stacked around, you know, Linehan and Klain and Vanuka or something. And then you have more of a possession based around Roy and Brand Paletto. I don't know, but this is why I coach. (laughs) (laughs) Well, right. And I think that's, that's one of those things like we've talked about coaches making in-game adjustments like that, where, yeah, you could take just a completely new approach to an offense mid-game, and I feel like it's not something we see a ton of, but I, I, think you, I like the concept of it. I think you saw Carolina do it too easily on the way to their title last year, where now you think, oh, any team should just be able to toggle switch a couple of <laughs> right, players right. and you know, go from one look to another. Oh, we... Yeah. We took, not easy. we took Eric Taylor out and we put in Elijah Long and now we're an amazing red zone team. Oh, we put in Eric Taylor and now we can bomb the disc from anywhere on the field and play amazing defense if we need to off of a turn. You know, it's just yeah, stupid yeah. flyers. Anyways, we'll get, I know they spoil us. We'll get strategy. to them on Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's your what's your record prediction for Minnesota or at least win total? Nine. I think they're going to go nine? nine and three. Yeah, I I feel like I agree there. I it it feels talent wise that they really are a a t- maybe not a tier above the rest of the division, but definitely the favorites to win it to win the central in my mind. I think Chicago and Madison are going to push them like they always do, but nine feels right because yeah, if they lose three games maybe dropping one each to Chicago and Madison. And I could see them losing a game to Indy too. I think it would be good for them to drop a couple of games if they're getting the rotations that they want, the playing reps that they need, you know, like, yeah. Well, and there's also that Dallas game early in the season. I forgot. They, they opened their season with a tough schedule. We talked about it. We talked about it. Yeah. I could see them going 0 and 3, you know, uh, playing at home against Chicago, then going on the road to Dallas, then on the road to Madison. Not at all easy. So No. But, you know, as, again, we saw last year with the Flyers, you can go 0-2 and still win a championship. Right. And I think right. that I think that more teams obviously shouldn't take that blueprint. You're not trying to go out here and lose <laughs> games. But I think the, the approach that the Flyers had of – you know, we're going to experiment with these lineups. We're, we're running Terrence Mitchell on defense to start the year. We're trying different things. We're working in Matt Gucci-Johannes. We're figuring out our rookies and Anders Jungst and everything. And presto changeo by the middle of the season, it's an unstoppable force. I think more teams can can kind of take that care to do more in the season conditioning of their lineups, right? Like I think sometimes you just yeah. feel like a team have their offensive set and then that's it. Like you're even like you were just saying a moment ago with Madison, I think Minnesota should take the similar approach of keep experimenting, keep figuring out where all of this talent plays best together, right? Like which kind of three and four person rotations really take over together. Cause there's just so many options. Right. Still. Yeah, and whereas I think Madison, like, going that route would probably be fueled by a sort of panic mode where, like, you know, they're going to have to change something or else they're going to keep losing games. Not, sure. I'm saying in, in this scenario, if their offense doesn't work out from the get-go, I think Minnesota, it, it feels like no matter who they put out there, should remain pretty efficient. I just, 
you know, you want them to be able to optimize that by the time the playoffs come around, right? Like, and really field their best lineups consistently. Absolutely. And it felt like last year they were and they were not doing that. Because <laughs> if you yeah. remember, they had those late season games against, you know, Chicago and the, the week eight game against Indy that was just yeah. weird at home. Not great. No, they had a stretch of, what, what was it, like three or four games where they turned the disc over 20 plus times, like towards the end of the season where it just felt like a very different looking team than earlier. It was a bit of an up and down year, but I, honestly, they ended last season about as good as they could have, you know, three and a half quarters taking down, nearly taking down. You love the, abs. You love three I, quarters of games. I mean, I mean, I here. I was so, I was so sure they'd win that game. I I'm still in disbelief, but you know, it's another thing to learn from. All right, we're on our last team of the Central Division before we get to the East Division. It's kind of the second half of this It's a long episode. Yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, We've got the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds. Their additions include Ian Engler, Noah Robinson, and Mike Pannone. Uh, Pannone and Robinson returning to the team after a few years away. Robinson, an interesting receiver addition. Pannone, a speedy defender. Engler, depending on his availability, would be a great offensive handler ad. But as we're kind of hearing, uh, he might not be playing too much for this year. And then some pretty substantial losses for them in Thomas Edmonds and Tristan Yarder. Edmonds, of course, the kind of 1A part to the Max Shepard-Thomas Edmonds dynamic duo of the past couple years on offense. And then Tristan Yarder, a really nice, I think, uh, prospect piece. Uh, he won't be playing with them this year. Uh, this is a one-win team coming over from the Atlantic Division back into their traditional central. I do expect them to have a slightly better year this year than they did last year. Um, the things we know is that Max Shepard and CJ Calicchio are going to put up big offensive numbers. They can. Yes. They have the ability to almost keep them in the game themselves. Uh, the things we don't know is how this Pittsburgh defense that finished in the bottom three in scoring allowed last year, how they are going to stack up against the top lines of Chicago and Minnesota, especially, and even Indianapolis. And I think uh, uh, looking to prove themselves Madison unit. Um, yeah. I, I think the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds are in for another semi long season this year, but I think that they're still going to, be a fun team to watch. I think that last year they were still a really entertaining team. Uh, they took Atlanta mm-hmm. to the brink in the final regular season game. Uh, they play well against teams uh, when they, you know, kind of stick to their rhythm. It's just that way too many times last year they would have runs where the other team would go on like a six or seven break score train. Uh, I'm specifically thinking <laughs> right. of like week one against Boston, against oh, uh, the Flyers yeah. midway through the season. There were just mm-hmm. times where it, the wheels kind of came off for the Thunderbirds. And given some light reporting that we're hearing that Jonathan Mast might be injured for them, uh, that worries me a lot for the Thunderbirds because <laughs> their their handling was sort of the weak spot beyond John Mast last year. Uh, and they don't really have a whole bunch of solutions in 2022 this year. 
Yeah, well, no, yeah, I mean, if John Mast misses any amount of time, already losing Thomas Edmonds is obviously a, a massive blow to that offense. But yeah, yeah I think they they just would lack a, a true, like, you know, proven handler if Mast does miss any time. And you have to wonder who they have to turn to in the backfield and whether they maybe move Max Shepard back there a little more. Maybe they do what DC did this past weekend and just don't really call a handler line and let everyone sort of rotate in and out. Uh, I don't I don't think Pittsburgh quite has the same personnel that DC does to pull that off. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree. I think their, their offense, you know, if Mass is healthy and they have Max Shepard, CJ Colicchio, like those three are going to be... Uh, a handful for defenses to defend. I I just think anytime you have to rely on your offense that much to keep you in games, like their defense was really, I I think they took a huge step back last season compared to 2019. Um, I forget exactly where they finished as far as points against in 2019, but I think they were top 10, maybe even higher than that. They were third. Uh, they were third, all right. And they were so last year. They went from a line right nineteen point two in twenty nineteen to twenty four point one in twenty twenty one. Man, yeah, just I really right at the bottom of the league, and you know, kind of had a similar feel to Boston, and why Boston only managed five wins last season despite having a pretty good looking offense and scoring the second most points per game. Uh, yeah, just with no defense, it's it's hard to consistently keep your team in games. Like a lot of those points should be coming from break opportunities, and without you know a true, I mean, Anson Reppermend is still there, but it doesn't feel like they have a ton of playmakers or real turnover generators on that defense. Where they do, they're definitely vulnerable in the deep space. Aside from Reppermend. Um, and it seems like teams just kind of had their way with them last year. You know, obviously it's a new division this year, so I would have some hope that Pittsburgh improves on their one win total. But I think, yeah, defense to me is the biggest question mark. And then just who is going to throw for them on offense, which I guess is a fairly sizable thing to consider. It's a, it's a big thing to consider. I think it's sort of the same problem that Madison has as far as like, okay, we've got these pieces that we like, but how is it all going to connect on offense? I think Pittsburgh yeah. has a similar thing. If they have playmakers in Shepard and Colicchio and even Connor Newell at times, uh, mm-hmm. but how is it all going to piece together? And yeah, on defense, it just comes down to who beyond Reppermund and Miles Cooper, who might be missing in the beginning of the year because of college uh and a few other you know sam van dusen a couple other veterans who's really going to step up and play good defense for pittsburgh against you know minnesota's top line of receivers right right it's a it's a big question mark i think they're gonna have some fun games where like i could see them being in some fun shootouts where their offense is just carrying them and everything is clicking with Shepard and colicchio on the same page but i think i i don't expect them to win with any consistency this season so i you know i'd put their win total at probably two or three two or three feels right i'd say three three feels about right right. okay give them three i'll bump them to three i could still see them taking a game from potentially uh like indy or madison on the road but you know pittsburgh at home i should say 
Uh, but yeah, I think road games will be tough for the Thunderbirds this year as they were last year. I guess they they play the mechanics three times. They so. do. They do. Yeah. Might get a little they, uh, budding rivalry there. Yeah, hey, who um, knows? Yeah, the, the bottom the, of the division. But uh, moving yeah. on, moving on, I think, from the central division, we could get into the east. Uh, We're going to blow right through the east. Uh, yeah, we'll start with Boston. So Boston added Jeff Graham, Noah Backer, and Anders Olsen. They lost Ian Engler, who was added by Pittsburgh. They also lost Tanner Helkyard, who was a pretty big piece of their offense last year. Henry oh, Babcock, yeah, another big piece of their offense. For yeah, <laughs> right. Some kind of big losses on the offensive side with Halkyard and Babcock. And they also lost Dean Bullock, who played a lot of defense, and Ethan Fortin, who was also a D-liner for them. Um, it, you know, things we know about Boston, it's really just about the, the Sudoke and Tanner Johnson show on offense. I think they make one of the best offensive duos in the entire league. And Tanner Johnson was hurt for a large amount of last year. He only appeared in four games, I believe. But they played their opponent. They either won those games or played their opponents extremely close in all of those when both Sadok and Tanner Johnson were active. Both guys are extremely versatile. Uh, just getting downfield, playing in the backfield, it, it feels like they both have the freedom, too, just within that offense to kind of run around and do their thing. So I I can't wait to see these guys in action. I hope Tanner and Sadok stay healthy the entire year. Willie Stewart we... and Hofer Davis, also other really nice offensive pieces who played really well for them in their first AUDL season last year. I kind of expect them both to elevate a little bit this year. And I just wanted to add to your Definitely. Tanner Johnson point. He played in four games. Do you want to guess how many total yards he had? Oh, I think he, he averaged something like 500 per game. So yeah, he yeah had I'm going to say he got 2,000. Yeah, he had 2048 in four games. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Might be nice. And Sadok was also putting up, you know, 500 total yards per game. So, you know, 1,000 yards per game between the two of them, I think Boston's going to be in pretty good shape. Because it, it didn't seem like any team could really slow down either one of them. And they're, you know, they're different players in that Sadok is... is a lot smaller and more uh, more at home in the backfield, but sort of sneaky good downfield. And then Tanner Johnson, you look at him and you're like, oh, this guy's just going to terrorize the deep space. But then he has all these midfield throws that he can unleash and just great handler movement for his size. They're, yeah, they're one of my favorite duos to watch in the league, and I, I hope we get a full season of them together. Another- uh, you know, the bit... Oh, Another go piece ahead. I just love to to shout out is Cole Davis Brand. Uh, he only played sure. five games for them, but he averaged over three hundred yards of total offense. Uh, showed a deep bag of throws, kind of blades and overhead throws that really sort of picked up the pace of their offense from ah the backfield and Sadok and Engler, etc., to kind of engaging downfield with. Uh, Tanner Johnson and Orion Cable and Topher Davis kind of as their primary receivers, obviously Tanner Hulkier too. Like I think CDB is a really interesting connector piece for this Boston offense and has a lot of potential as a young player to grow really quickly. Yeah, I agree. He was, yeah, he's one of those like sort of front of the stack initiators that would, 
you know, allow guys like Sadok or Johnson to get downfield, like you mentioned. But so, he's good as a receiver to... downfield too. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't have to come back around the disc. It's just, he sort of unlocks sort of the true potential level, allowing Sadok and Tanner to cycle downfield when he can be so effective with it too. For sure. And he, I think, is he a pretty young player too? I'd expect some he's very young. improvement from him. He's very, yeah. very young. So, Orion Cable, too. I guess we haven't touched on him a ton, but obviously this, what is he, 6'5", 6'6", and just a a giant physically out there. Uh, Really looked, you know, like he was showing off his potential in a few games last season where, you know, he he didn't ultimately play that many games last year, but they can get a full season of Orion Cable also. Just having that alongside Johnson and I feel like all these guys on offense bring a lot of versatility to their games like Cable is also not just a downfield target like he showed off a lot of throws and oh yeah he's also what like 20 years old <laughs> so that there's a lot he a lot of fun college yet when he first started with the AUDL <laughs> right. the AUDL was his first taste of high level ultimate really man as a teenager so yeah, there's a there's a lot of fun potential on that offense. Jeff uh, Graham, which kinda, Jeff Graham coming into the fold with that offense. Yeah, well, he I mean he's kind of a question mark at this point. I don't know right. how much competitive ultimate he's been playing, but was a star in the MLU, uh, and yeah, is back All-timer. for his first season with Boston Glory. But you know, as much as we can talk about their offense, I think their their defense, kind of like we mentioned before, and talking about Pittsburgh and the similarities there. You know, I think their defense lost them a lot of games last season. It was it was also just like a sort of a lot of late game, later game collapses in like the end of the third or, you know, fourth quarters where it felt like their offense had them in position to win, pretty much outplaying their opponents for the majority of games. But, you know, we saw it for the first time early last season when they played Atlanta. We saw it later when they played the Flyers. They just they struggled to close out games, and I think it was a lot of their defense letting up, you know, consistent points. But and it also was somewhat on the offense, just uh, taking their foot off the gas a bit late in those games. So I think, I you know, I expect a guy like like Cam Warner if they have him for the full season this year. I think he can really set the tone for that defense and hopefully rally those guys around him. But that to me is is the biggest. Uh, point of of like growth for boston like if their defense can get better i think they're gonna consistently compete with new york and dc whereas if they don't get better i think they'll have a chance of upsetting new york and dc but you know when it comes down to playoff games i think new york and dc will will still have an edge for sure i think just being in year two in the league will help a lot for this glory defense right like i think that last year getting thrown into the atlantic which featured new york dc atlanta (laughs) carolina as far as offenses you just gotta hey we're showing up you you just started playing professional like here you go like those are four of the top offenses (laughs) in the league that boston had to deal with i think i think that they have an ability to be a lot better this year, especially with getting to play the Canadian teams who I think that they'll play pretty well. I think uh, year two against Philadelphia, Philadelphia took a game at Boston last year and then Boston returned the favor in week 12, winning at Philadelphia. 
I would kind of expect Boston to win their season series against Philly, but we'll see. They'd match up in week one, so that'll be pretty telling as to where these teams kind of gauge. Uh, and obviously, we'll get to Philly in a minute. But yeah, I totally agree with you. I think their defense needs to show that they can get a stop late in the game. And if they can, right. that that makes Boston a pretty tantalizing team, I think. You know, they... They played New York really close in that uh, rainout makeup game in week 13. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously, they were close with Carolina in week 10, with Atlanta in week two. Uh, they lost the Philly game very close. You know, this is a glory team that, while they missed the playoffs last year, wasn't that far away from making them either. No, definitely. I, yeah, they feel very much on the verge of being a consistent contender in the East. It's just, yeah, they got to go through DC and New York, unfortunately for them. Uh, win total for Boston. I, I'd put them around six or seven. I want to say I'd say seven plus you think seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give them seven. I think, I mean, there's still just, out. there's a part of me. There's still a part of me. That's like, there's still, I, you know, I kind of still view them as an expansion team. They're still very new to the league. I don't know how they're going to play on the road in Canada, even if I feel like they have a more talented team. Um, so, you know, still some questions, but I, I think I think seven is a good mark for them. I, I do have them in that third playoff spot at this point. I think yeah. it, it will be New York, D.C. and Boston. Well, moving on to the second team you named, DC. Uh, kind of, I think, one of the superpowers entering this season, and that's because of the windfall of sort of returning stars that they have coming back to the team, starting with Delrico Johnson, Alan Colick, Tyler Monroe, David Cranston, Troy Holland, Christian Boxley, Marcus Fall, and, uh, sorry, Marcus Thaw, and Alex Fall, who was with the team last year, but missed the entire season due to an injury. So getting him back sort of feels like a free agency boon. This team does lose Gus Norbaum, Garrett Braun, Quinn Bergeron, Ben Green, and Joe Merrill. Some important brother losses there. Obviously, Reese still still retains Zach uh, Norbaum (laughs) and Reese Bergeron. And Colin Bergeron, I believe, is also playing for them this year. So they have brother components. They're not losing all of their power quite yet. And uh, it's not the same. Ben Green yes. and Joe Merrill, of course, uh, now playing with Salt Lake. Uh, be interesting to see how they do. But Breeze really looking like an early season championship kind of roster, right? Like this is top to bottom as impressive as anyone except for maybe Carolina, I would say. Like, yeah. I, they, I was just watching them in a TEP. They just kind of scrapped together this makeshift O-line and looked just as consistent and dominant as New York did. Right. Like, I, I just think they're they're so deep. I I would even, I like, I would question if they're deeper than Carolina at this point. Yeah. I think Carolina might, might still have a few players i would draft you know if you were just drafting both rosters i think i'd still come up with a few more carolina players right at the top but Mm -hmm. when you start getting to the middle ground with it though i mean these dc guys they're just aren't weak links and you saw that in the showcase against new york they just they come at you in waves 
Everyone has disc skills. They like to play up tempo, which keeps their opponents on their heels. They like to attack you from multiple angles, which means that they have a really balanced offense. They can make big plays on defense. I don't, they, they play New York as well as anyone, anywhere. And if you're playing New York well, it means that you're a championship level team, you know? It just, yeah, yeah, which they've been doing for the past three three years now. And like you say, you know, it's, so. it's the thing of, and we talked, we wrote about this in the One Burning Question this week for the AUDL.com, but, you know, Johnny Malk suffers a dominant hand uh, injury. I don't think it's serious, but he couldn't play with his throwing hand down in Colombia, and so he's throwing off hands, and they switch him to defense, which means that you know Musa D- Ja and uh, Jeremy Knopf and a couple others sort of get reinvigorated roles with the DC Breeze offense, and they don't lose a step. And no, <laughs> those aren't even the players that are supposed to be the hybrid roles that will carry this team throughout the season, which is Del Rico Johnson and Tyler Monroe and Alan Colic and Christian Boxley. Boxley was there in Columbia and looked great as a defender. He played really well. He played yeah. as a defender, which isn't his normal role. Alex Fall played with the Continent Tour a couple weeks ago and looked like uh, he had rocket shoes on. Uh, he's fast. He's, yeah. he's so freaking fast. You know, and like, it's like they they have so many pieces. They can use them so differently depending on what sorts of looks they want to give you. They mm-hmm. didn't have Joe Richards down there, who's right. their wide receiver didn't need one. Him. Who needs Joe Richards? Yeah. No, they've got well, you Jeff You got Musa Jaw filling in. Yeah, Jeff Wodach. Like, Musa yeah, Jaw did a fantastic Joe Richards. Uh, he was great. Yeah. He was so I good. I had no idea he was good. Yeah, because he's, you know, it's these guys that really haven't played much over the past couple of seasons. I mean, I think Jaw was a rookie last year, but yeah. Jeremy Knopf, I feel like he's been with the team for a couple years now, and hasn't really seen much playing time but yeah these guys just slot in and they look like they belong on that dc breeze o-line uh i i was most impressed with their ability to really shift their entire offensive identity from last year where it was very very handler driven last year with the norbombs and johnny mocks and rowan and and this showcase game was like a complete 180 they really did not from what I saw, did not field a consistent handler core. If they did, the handlers were just there to like get the disc downfield and then let let the rest of the possession progress through continuation throws. I felt like Rowan was getting a lot more aggressive downfield and Norbaum. just like looking looking deep a little more often. Yeah, Zach Norbaum was fantastic. All these guys are just like such well-rounded ultimate players where they don't need to do this, you know, like. 100 throw possession, you know, handler motion weave. Like they really have the ability to strike quickly and up tempo, like you said. Like that was not at all what we saw from them in 2021. So I'm very excited about the prospects of this offense just looking entirely dif- different and completely suiting the personnel that they have. Yeah. You know, uh, Rowan looks motivated rowan looks good he looks really good <laughs> he had a great, i think he looked great i think he's kind of that difference in that attacking style right like last year he yeah. was dealing with a hamstring you could see he was more tentative he loved the possession game but it felt like he was taking a lot of 
dumps and stuff. Like if you look at his receiving yards from last year, it's right. it's odd for a dude who scored like 110 goals the prior two seasons and got an MVP <laughs> award. Uh, yeah. The kinds of, you know, backfield movement he was doing. And I think in Columbia, you saw him just pushing, right? Like he, he still wasn't quite getting out into space as a receiver as he has, you know, in 2018 and 2019, I think most famously, but he was clearly attacking more with his throws. He was, yeah, he was he aggressive. Was, well, and he was doing those cute little into space kind of cubby throws. Oh, uh, I lo- he's, he was clearly having, yeah, he was unloading his, his 80 ways to throw a dip. Like he was just, you could tell he was having fun with it. For and, sure. you know, in like, a very like, aggressive, a much more aggressive mindset than we saw from him in 2021, for sure. I thought balanced with Norbaum, it was a really interesting complement of throwing attacks because I thought Rowan was just a, he was still very attack oriented, but he was finding more of like a mid-range jumper sort of softness in the defense, whereas Norbaum was going for kill shots with power position if he had it. <laughs> yes. And he was yeah. good with it. Uh, Rowan was kind of trying to pick apart the interstitial spaces of the defense with his throws. And like he hit, I think it was Boxley or somebody with like a sort of high release, like floater that came up like on the warning track of the end zone, but it was still such a well-placed dist and sort of out of timing with the rest of the defense that it like settled in for the receiver. And then they just had one more throw that was wide open in the end zone. Cause everyone else was standing flat footed. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. it was such a nice, like, yeah, balance. And again, like you were to, to echo what you were saying earlier, it's, it's so different from those almost agonizingly long breeze drives from 20. Completely. Yeah. There completely was really different. There was no, nothing boring about that breeze offense on Saturday night. No. And, and this was all without Johnny Malks, who was basically the first half of the season MVP last season so uh, yeah i'm i'm so excited for dc i i also think zach norbon's io flick might be my favorite throw it's so good man it's so good it comes out on that (laughs) who do yeah who do you hit on that one really nice one down the far side of the field was it boxley i think it was boxley who is also due for a very big season if they box it looked real good if they put him on offense i've got him pegged for 35 plus goals if he starts a fair number of games like he he can go off uh when when he last played for the team i remember there was a game of the week game against new york and he had seven or eight goals on that and there was just nothing new york really could do it was when (laughs) rowan was just feeding him in the end zone with flick hucks yeah uh and, it, and it's like the it. DC offense now is so much deeper and more balanced. Obviously, it's not quite MVP Rowan level, but I don't think there's any comparison that the 2022 Breeze would wax the 2018 Breeze. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I love that this is all just based on the depth we saw in a showcase game. But right. I, I, think we're, I think we're drawing the right conclusions here. I mean, I, I think we're right to be excited about this Breeze team. So kind of just wrapping all of that up, the thing we know is that they're deep and multi-talented at basically all the positions, uh, whether it be backfield, skill positions, defensive rotation. Reese Bergeron should just be wearing a cape at this point uh, with the kinds of Superman blocks <laughs> he was getting. Uh, he was 
outstanding again, making that play against Ryan Osgar in deep space. Uh, you brought it up on the AUDL weekly episode. It, it was a Jack Williams, a Ryan Osgar in rhythm throw. And Reese <laughs> yep. Bergeron just detonated on it. Yeah. Just said, nope. Uh, so DC or deep, the, the thing is, and, and it's unfair. It's, it's sort of like a, I think a ring oriented or a trophy oriented narrative. And, and I think DC deserves credit for just being a good team, but what it all comes down to for the breezes, can they win in the playoffs and can they finally make it to championship weekend? Can they slay New York essentially? Uh, yeah. I think this I, is their best opportunity to do that. Yes. I think even though it was just a showcase game, I, I really think I would have favored New York before I saw that game, and now I'll I'll favor DC. I think DC is my preseason championship pick. Uh, I think they've got the I motivation, like yeah. the depth, and the talent to pull it off. I think I can see them winning only eight or nine games in the regular season, just as sure, sure, you know, rotations and traveling to Montreal who always plays them well and stuff uh New York obviously Boston like I could see them stumbling maybe a couple times during the regular season but this just feels like a little bit of DC's year just a little bit yeah but I could see it and at the same time and we'll get to New York in a minute it's still just <laughs> I know it was just still a friendly New and New York was just messing around and they still look like they belong in the championship game for the third straight year. Uh, for sure. But we've got a couple teams to get to before. Well, we've got Montreal to get to. So why don't you tackle Montreal? Yeah. So Montreal, not not a ton of offseason movement as far as we could tell. But a big addition was Hayden Stone, who played with Austin last season, who made a lot of plays for that young Austin O-line. They lost Andre Arsenal, who was a big deep defender for Montreal over the past several seasons and Gabriel Monfet, who is somewhat of a, a Royal legend. Yeah. I mean, I don't know yeah. how many seasons he played with the team, but um, sort of a, a bittersweet retirement there where, you know, a very successful career and they are, they're now moving on to this, this younger era of playmakers um, guys like Jacob Brissett are back. Uh, Vincent Lemieux is back. And I think those two throwers really unlocked a lot for that offense last season. And Montreal felt like a team that, that I, I felt like there was a lot of variance from them from year to year, you know, whether they can compete with New York at home any given year or, you know, have the consistency to really push for a playoff spot. Um they they've been kind of up and down and it felt like they kind of put it all together last season with their Canada cup championship. Um, but you know, that being said, of course it was just Canada teams that they were playing, obviously. So the big question mark is how they fit back in to us play. It felt like Canada was kind of doing their own thing last season where it was a lot of huck heavy offenses, which really did favor Montreal and Kevin Quinlan, another guy that I think benefited hugely from that. Uh, a couple uh, guys worth mentioning, Sasha Postokolsky and Kentan Bono. They, I believe, are expected to join the team maybe a bit later this summer. Yes. I think they're, they're currently in France. Is that yes. right? So those are their, their French import goal scorers that they might be without 
for a chunk of the season. You know, we'll see. The league how... leaders in goals per game in the last two seasons. SPS in <laughs> 2021 and Bonad yeah. in 2019. Bonad yeah. setting the AUDL record for goals per game in a season in 2019. So not just your typical, like, <laughs> right. they get They're goals awesome. because somebody has to score two of the premier finishers in the league. Yeah, they're they're a ton of fun, and and Montreal yeah. as a whole has a lot of really young uh, talent and and playmakers that we saw on both sides of the disc. Like they they really showcased a pretty complete roster. It felt like, but at the same time, you know, I think their defense was somewhat of a struggle at times last year. Yeah, you- uh, again, playing playing in the Canada division where teams were a little more liberal with throwing the disc and attacking deep. Um, you know, felt like their defense was susceptible at times. So I don't know. I, to me, in my mind, I feel like they're not going to slot in towards the top of the East division, but they're not going to be at the bottom either. I feel like they're going to be right below Boston. If I had to peg them in a standing spot right now, I don't know. What do you think Montreal heading into this season? I think them and Ottawa are going to be pretty neck and neck. And I'm interested to see Ooh. how Philadelphia works into that sort of right. menage as well. Like I, I kind of see all three of those teams as being pretty, pretty equal, giving you different pieces depending on what you like. Uh, I thought the Outlaws actually played Royale pretty well last year. I mean, they beat the Royale did. in the first weekend of Canada Cup play when they had their full roster. Um, yeah. I worry a little bit about the Royale's vertical attack style without, again, their top two goal scorers who kind of set everything else up. I think that Malika Gersamar is a really interesting prospect. Obviously, he had a breakout year in 2021. I could see him assuming kind of their primary target role. You know, Montreal loves to feed one guy a lot in the end zone. <laughs> kind of in the model of the years. Yes. I'm wondering if they change that up a little bit. I don't think that that will be an effective strategy against, say, a New York who can throw Jeff Babbitt on said person uh, or Brownlee or Antoine Davis now. Um, you don't really want to get into a space play against some of the teams in the rest of the East Division. So mm-hmm. I'm just, I don't know. I'm interested to see how Montreal's styles reintegrate with the rest of the existing division. You know, like... I could see it going For both sure. ways. I could see them maybe getting to six and six and playing really well at home and taking a road game or two, you know, like that's not out of the picture for the Royale. I just losing basically their top defender in Andre Arsenault, uh, losing or not having their top goal scorers for the first half of the season, ostensibly being a team that does struggle a little bit with turnovers. You know, they had five 20 turnover games and nine appearances last year. It's not great. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I think I'll, I think I'd put them at five, five wins, five plus this season. That feels safe. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're mostly gonna have the edge in Canada. Yeah. They might drop one of those games, but I don't know. I, I like them enough against Philly. I could also see them beating Boston at home. Maybe, like you've mentioned, stealing a game from New York or DC at home, but probably not. So I, you know, I think Jacob Brissett is really a fun piece to this offense that Absolutely. has that 
star level ability to keep them in games. And I think if their offense has games where they're just clicking from start to finish, which I think they will have a chunk of those, you know, I, I think five wins feels pretty realistic. Okay, let me let me pose a real question to you. They play Toronto and Ottawa one, two, three. I think they play them both twice. Four, right? yeah, four times. How many games does Montreal take out of those? Uh, the Canada Cup twenty twenty two version. I would say three. I think they'll win three of the four. Three and one. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think they'll go three and one. And then maybe their two wins come against Philly. I'm just not quite convinced that they're fully better than Philly. Philly and uh, Montreal have always been pretty neck and neck over the years. Sure. Yeah. You're not wrong. Philly did have those two wins against Toronto in 2019 too, before Toronto started this, this new rebuild that we'll get to. Yeah. So Philly, Philly will be punchy. I yeah all right maybe what four wins you think is more realistic for Montreal? I think four plus is kind of where I'm at with Montreal right now. I just I okay. keep thinking about the defense and losing a top defender and just still kind of figuring stuff out again against an entirely new gauntlet of opponents. You know, like they figured out yeah. the Canada teams, they knew the Canada teams, they knew how to play them. I think a lot of that goes out the window when you start facing Boston, who they've never played. A Philly team who's going to look a lot different than the last time that they faced them. A Breeze team that's a lot better than the last time that they faced them. You know, <laughs> yeah, it really is just a totally different play style that that it felt like in Canada versus the East Division because they also have historically games, known. They've got four games against New York and DC. You know, right? Well, and yeah, Cup. I it'll be a stretch <laughs> if they win one of those. I think. So moving on then, I guess, probably to one of the the ur competitors in the league, New York Empire. Uh, their additions include Antoine Davis, Charles Weinberg, Ethan Fortin, Scott Ju, Mark Lynn, uh, kind of an all-star, a, a, a de facto or, or like a dark horse all-star, I would say, in Weinberg. Uh, the first one being Antoine yeah. and then Weinberg. Uh, Fortin, Ju, and Lynn, all great depth pieces on this team, but could be on other teams kind of a starter or a featured mm-hmm. piece even. Uh, the losses include Connor Klein, Ryan Weaver, Matt Lamar, Josue Aloro, and Nasser Mbai Vogel. Aloro and Klein, probably the big takeaways from those losses. Aloro was one of the team's best defenders in 2019 and 2021. Uh, just a lockdown artist and Klein, a 50 plus goal scorer for them a couple seasons back. Somebody who I think was really underrated given the level of stars that existed around him. He was a fantastic uh, finisher and just goal scorer for them, uh, particularly in 2019. He even played some D line for them, so he will be missed, but it's hard not to just get kind of taken away with the empire doing what they needed to do over the off season and adding depth and another star to their lineup after coming two goals shy of repeating as champions in 2021 Um, empire feel again, like it's completely expected for them to make it back to the championship game this season, even with DC's additions empire feels like, they have the kind of talent where that's just a coin flip of a game in a playoff atmosphere. Right. Um, yeah. 
The things we know about them is that they have the most top-line talent in the league when you stack up Jack Williams, uh, Ben Yacht, Ryan Osgar, Jeff Babbitt, now Antoine Davis, Marquez Brownlee. Uh, you could even keep naming a few players beyond that. Elliot Chartok, obviously, uh, and now Charles Weinberg. There's just so much top-line talent, but they also now have very good pieces beyond that. Uh, emerging young guys like Solomon Ruschmeyer bailey uh, New York has one of the best lineups that they've ever had and probably the best lineup since 2019. Uh, I would expect them to kind of be at like a nine or 10 plus win. They just, they're built as kind of like yeah. a regular season dominant force again, especially with, you know, Ben Yacht, Jack Williams and Ryan Osgar still being completely in their primes. Uh, that's as good of an offensive trio as anything in the league, bar none. Their their O line is just <laughs> so loaded. Their cutting they core is John Lithio, who looks right. Cool. I mean, their their cutting core, you know, featuring Yacht, Williams, and Osgar, is rounded out by Charles Weinberg and John Lithio. You know, and then just like throw whatever two handlers back there. Sure, Chartok and SRB are great. Great choices, but then, yeah, I don't know if Antoine ever switches over to offense. Maybe you move Jack ben Williams Katz. back in the handler set. Ben Katz filling it up. Yeah, like, you know, obviously just so many options and so much just elite level. And, like, when we say elite level, not just AUDL elite, like best players in the country, elite level talent on right. this team. I mean, they, they have a carousel of four guys who could essentially win the MVP and you just go, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, you know, a lineup of basically all-star players beyond that. Mark Lynn is a really good player. He has a cannon flick. To just add him as sort of a oh and piece to the (laughs) roster. just another guy. Right. Look, if Madison added Mark Lynn, Tim DeBow would be doing backflips in the middle of breeze stevens okay like mark lynn is a really good frisbee player he's played for revolver and like a host of other top level teams he's played for the flyers he played for spiders last year and looked good in a couple of limited appearances mm-hmm. you know like he's just a oh we'll see how he fits in uh i i want to i want to talk a little bit about lithiao after watching sure. columbia he threw the game-winning assist to ryan osgar on a rope just a 50 yard strike into double coverage, just yeah, on a so platter good. for Osgar and stride. Uh, yeah. we, we've talked about before. Lithia is a good thrower. It looks like he might be coming kind of a great thrower in that offense, especially if he can be a continuation piece alongside Ryan Osgar, who is the best middle continuation offensive piece in the world. I think right now, you know, right. Well, and Weinberg feels like such a similar. Like they, they all, they have this similar level. Uh, I mean, not, obviously not quite Osgar's level of throwing talent, but just having these extra options sure. in the cutting core. Whereas before they were relying on Matt Stevens and Connor Klein to fill those sort of continuation cutting roles. Now they just have like all these options where anyone can basically cut deep at any point and trust that it's in the hands of someone that can get them the disc. Like that is huge for an offense just having that versatility and i'm so excited just to see everyone really thrive in their distinct roles i think lithio was 
one of their best offensive players over the TEP showcase game. Like, he was. I think he... Ryan Osgar was singing praises of him in Evan's Tuesday toss this week. You know, he was saying yeah. that Lithio is legit. You know, like, that guy is in fronting. And, and that's the thing. It's like, that... That was me last year. You know, I'm I'm one of those critics who loves to be like, oh, it's so easy to play alongside an offensive line. Like I'm that idiot. And so it took me a couple weeks, like maybe three or four, to really get the the idea that, oh no, he's not just having a good game and skying out some guys. Like, that's what he does. You put yeah. the disc up, he goes up and he gets it. You don't respect that or you respect that too much and you give him the under, he's content striding out and using a really good flick throw. You know, like he he as, is as smart in his offensive rhythms and everything as the stars that sort of surround him. And that's like unfair, I think, for everyone else that they just... <laughs> quietly add you know last year's a 27 year old rookie but basically a guy in his prime who is is sort of ben yacht light right now is is in that mold he he was so good last year and the fact that he is now better this year i mean if tep is any indication uh you know like you said it's it's really not fair the amount of talent that they have all playing together um, I think there was some concern last year where like, yeah, if maybe Yacht or Oscar or Jack got injured, that they would be in trouble. I feel like all of those concerns, at least in my mind, are erased. This Pretty year. distant. Pretty distant. I think, yeah. I think the one thing that maybe worries me a little bit slightly about this roster is on defense beyond Babbitt, who is going to emerge as their like week in week out other lockdown guy now that Aloro is out Antoine Davis obviously has that potential but he's played more as like a safety role a lot of times I feel like in the AUDL like can he be lockdown Marquez Brownlee yeah. I think started to show the ability to be that true like top three on the line defender last year for the first time like not just making plays but playing really really good defense can he sustain that for a full season and can he do it sort of week in week out? I think will be a big, big thing. Um, I don't, you know, like, and, and that's it. That's kind of the only question I have. And and I have a ton of faith in yeah. those guys. Right. Like, right. Not right. Like I think a, Antoine. Really yeah. I, I, I get what you're saying about Antoine. Yeah. He feels more like a safety as like his, a default defensive position for him. But I, I do think he has, yeah, he has. I think he still has the athleticism to lock yeah. down individual matchups. And just, oh, you think? just to, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and just to clarify for our listeners, if they are still listening at at what are what are we hour forty two, uh, Antoine did. So we've been wondering a while: are they going to use him on offense or defense? You know, maybe split both. He was, as far as I could tell, he was used exclusively on the D line in the TEP showcase game. So for whatever that's worth. Uh, I'm excited about his prospects of, of hopefully being a, a D line staple of the Empire. Because considering the the offensive guys we just named, I I really don't think they need to mess with that at all. No, no, they don't. No, they don't. It'd just be taking the spoons out of mouths that need to be fed. You know, right? You need to just give Ryan Osgar a lot of touches. Like that's 
that's how your offense should work. You shouldn't be taking things off of his plate. Uh, yeah. But we should probably move on from our. Let's move on. Figure. Yeah. Ten, 10 plus wins. I give the empire. Yeah. I would. I would put them at ten or ten plus. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So. I guess moving on to Ottawa, uh, they I don't know if they've released their full roster yet, but no real huge additions or losses with them. I think Ottawa is you know, a team similar to Montreal coming in where we're just like waiting to see how they adapt back to this U.S. play where it felt mm-hmm. like Canada, they, they did see some success, especially that first weekend when they just came out and went 2-0 beating Toronto. Uh, in like a historically Toronto dominant rivalry and then taking it to Montreal the very next day, putting up 26 points, I believe, in both those they games. Didn't get, they didn't get broken in uh, the game. <laughs> right, yeah. Montreal did not break them a single time. Uh, I think Ottawa was very surprising in a lot of ways last year. They ultimately yeah. were beat out by Toronto down the stretch. They you finished know, felt last, like Toronto technically. Just, yeah, they did finish last, but... You know, I think maybe there's just a bit of uh, falling off towards the end of the season. And Nick Boucher was injured for a chunk of the year. He was huge as an understatement in that first weekend. (laughs) He set the AUDL single game yardage record with 1,200 plus with like 11 assists and a couple goals and I think two blocks too in that first Canada Cup game. He's the franchise Uh, leader in blocks. He's like one of the is top, he? yes, he's one of the top 20 all time in blocks. He started his first five years wow. or whatever as a D-line player. The the transformation of Nick Boucher into a lefty bomber <laughs> is one of the more underrated things that's happened. That's uh, so underrated. Why yeah, yeah, why have I not heard about this D-line? It's I mean, it's because Ottawa was under the radar for so long, and I feel like this is sort of their time to at least push past Toronto in the Canada standings, you know, where it felt like they were just sort of penciled in as the the lowest tier of Canada teams. They, I think they very much flipped the strip last, last season, even though Toronto did come out on top and, and did make it to the championship game over Ottawa. I just think there's, there's a lot to like about Ottawa with Boucher and with a lot of younger guys coming up. They have a, a full coaching staff they've in, implemented for this season Still got guys like Alec Arsenault and Jeremy Hill who really bring a lot of great veteran presence to Andrew that offense. Andrew who I believe <laughs> Andrew now in his 40s, but continues to be able to make 40s, hammer yeah. throws and some downfield receiving plays. Uh, he was, he yeah. was a veteran when I started following the sport in the mid-aughts, okay? You know, like, oh, all respect to Octorloni to God. <laughs> yeah. So, right. I think they... You know, as far as like top to bottom, you know, full roster depth, definitely not the deepest team, but I think they have plenty of the top end talent needed to at least compete against Toronto and Montreal. Again, like we said, to be seen how they integrate back into the U.S. style of play. But, you know, talking about Montreal earlier, how I could see them going three and one against Canada teams, I could see them losing that one game to Ottawa. Um, I think it's very realistic for Ottawa to finish with uh, a couple or two, two to three wins against Canada teams only. Um, but then, you know, Ottawa versus Philly, I feel like there's a, a win or two in there too. We will, we'll see. There's a lot of question marks with any of these Canada teams, obviously coming into the season. 
Yeah, I'm excited about Ottawa. I I see them as like a four win team. I can see it. Four to five. All right. So you also have Montreal as a four win team. Four yeah, I I I think that the other than Toronto, the I think Toronto will probably finish towards the bottom of the division this year. Strange and weird as that sounds. Um, and I kind of think yeah. of it, Philadelphia, Montreal, Ottawa, sort of as their alphabetical ind- placements indicate as being sort of around each other. Like I'll be interested to see who can kind of hold their own at home, who plays well on the road. That'll be a big determining factor. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I think consistent, consistency. Yeah. Right. Just like, you know, week in, week out play. I think Ottawa is going to have some good games, but they also obviously struggled at times late in the season against a team like Toronto, which uh, could happen again this season where, you know, we just don't see the the start to finish consistency that other elite teams in the divisions have. Speaking of start to finish consistency, uh, one of the more mercurial franchises who feel like they've been on an upward trajectory, but their win total has actually been going down the past three seasons. uh, (laughs) The Philadelphia Phoenix uh apt is their name might be continue to kind of rebirth in flame uh they have a new coaching staff this year they add a couple of new pieces in the return of bryce dunn they also had jordan ryan and kind of interestingly although we're not really certain how much will play tyler de girolamo of course uh a league leader in assists for the thunderbirds back in the day but sort of Moving past his prime these days, it'll be interesting to see what sort of role he fills for the Phoenix. Uh, the only sort of significant losses to the roster are Matt Glazer and Max Charles, as far as like high possessions or uh, sort of involved in the, the team. Uh, although the Phoenix are going to be fielding a bunch of rookies this year, this is going to be one of the youngest teams in the league. Uh, so with that they will be sort of a big question mark as to what to expect from them especially from a consistency standpoint we know that sean mott and greg martin will get theirs as far as scoring but other than that this team doesn't perform particularly well on offense they finished in the bottom four each of the last three seasons in scoring per game uh that's kind of the the highs and lows of the Phoenix, uh, the things we don't really know about them is what this new coaching staff is going to bring to the table, what kind of strategies they're going to want to run with this roster, and can their offense get any kind of consistency with scoring? They have the talent, but they haven't shown an ability to really convert again and again. I think of them as similar to Pittsburgh in that there are times when they hang with teams but there are also mm-hmm. times where they will just hemorrhage like a five goal run. Yeah, definitely. Right. I think that's become all too familiar for the Phoenix over the past couple of seasons. And I, you know, I think speaking to their rookies a bit, Ed Brown is a guy that I oh, would yeah. be really excited about. Big, if big, I were a Phoenix Ed fan, Brown, like, man. yeah, Ed Brown and uh, Adam Grossberg, both those guys made the U 20 us worlds team. So I, I, you know, I think there's, obviously there's potential for this Phoenix team. I'm always going to come back to putting James Pollard on offense. I think that's going to help out with everything. And yes, I know it's hard to take a guy like so dominant in the deep space on defense and move him over to offense. But I just, I really liked 
when they tried that out last season. They got Nate Little. Uh, they can experiment. They got Nate Little. Little, right. They got these guys that I can Ed see Brown continuing now to too, you know, Jordan develop. Ryan's a pretty good defender as far as I know. Right, right. Have all those guys like pile on each other's shoulders Bryce to, Dunn's to a good defender. take the James Pollard role. Bryce Dunn is good. Yeah, I, I think they, right, they have all these like, you know, seemingly relatively high ceiling players uh, as far as like potential goes but yeah it just might take them a couple more years of, of figuring things out um you know hopefully they they have some consistency in their coaching staff from year to year going forward and we, we might see some strides just collectively as a, a team culture this year um you know i think having sean mott sort of come back working in the backfield a lot more last season than he had in previous seasons. I think that is sort of a sign that they were missing some throwers on offense and missing a, a bit of firepower aside from him and Greg Martin. So I would love to see someone emerge alongside Mott, yep. uh, whether it's Alex Thorne, who I played a small handful of games last season, is back with the team. I just don't know what his what his commitment level is at for this season or if it was injuries last year. But, you know, I think they're they're lacking some some throwers and, and the more they can develop those, I think the offense will be in a lot better shape. Yeah, I totally agree. You've got Dustin Damiano, who's going to be your center kind of pivot distributor with not a ton of range. Mm-hmm. And then you've got kind of his cosmic balance and Mike Arcata, who loves to shoot first, shoot early and shoot often, uh, has a terrific <laughs> hammer. Yeah. He can throw from half field, uh, very good flick hook. Uh, but you know prone to some turnovers with engaging a lot of hucks Um, right but beyond them like you were saying like I totally agree it was Sean Mott coming into the backfield just a little too often you know you want him as that connecting piece between the backfield and what goes on downfield you want him out yeah he's such a he's such a good cutter and like he's so he's he's so quick and he does that he adds the dimension that I think Alan Laviolette adds to Carolina, right? Where he can reverse fields with both his playmaking and his throws. Like he can dart on one side of the field and then completely reverse fields in the moment and hit Greg Martin in the back corner, you know, with an arcing flick hook or something. He has that dimension. And so to just see him kind of have to flatten out into, you know, a backfield distributor isn't what you'd want to see out of Sean Mo, I think. It's a waste. It's a waste of Sean Mudd. And similarly, I I don't want to say it's a waste of James Pollard on defense, but I I think he can be maximized by move. He's you know he's got a huge arm. He does. Uh, seen some I, of his I pulls, worry, some of his hooks. I just worry he, a little bit if they have Arcata and Mott and Pollard all playing offense together. That's a lot of green lights. I I actually like Arcata on defense. I feel like he yeah, he does a really yeah. good job on underneath defender or underneath cutters. Yeah, I could see um, that. I could see that. So, yeah. Put James Holl- James Pollard in the handler space. Why not? I just don't know if it's, you know, I think that they need, you know, one other backfield component, like you're saying, to emerge. One other kind of creative thrower. Yeah. One other DC. Who I thought. DC has I thought Alex guys. Thorne. Yeah. Yeah, I thought Alex Thorne would fill Me that too. role. And hopefully he plays some more games this season. Because, yeah, I think he has the skill set. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, any guy in his first year with a team, it's not going to be a seamless fit right off the bat. And they can be a little thrillless. You know, like you, you can sure, kind of sure. just get into completing the, the open side throw, getting into, 
you know, not making mistakes. Maybe you're not really thinking creatively about where someone likes to have it and you're just sort of trying to make a completion. I could definitely see right. a little bit of an upward trend with Thorne. And especially with his best buddy on the roster and Tyler DiGirolamo. Who knows if they can maybe yeah. tap into some old magic for a game or two. <laughs> I, I'd be all for it. I uh, what's, what's, what's your win total for Philly? Same as kind of Ottawa and Montreal. Same as the rest. Yeah, yeah. right around four. I'd put them right around okay. four. I, I think that I, they're still going to struggle disagree. against uh, New York and D.C. Although, you know, they played New York really well randomly later in the season uh, in 2021. So never they say did. never. Yeah. Uh, D.C. is kind of owned Philly recently, and I, I sort of expect that to continue. I think Philly and Montreal is going to be really interesting. I, I see Philly taking a half step back from Boston as Boston gets acclimated to profession, to the professional league. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Um, all right, well, let's move on to our last team. Thanks for sticking with us this long. Absolutely. We are finally at the Toronto Rush uh, for our final preview who added Ryan Polos from Ottawa, but the big, more, more headlining news a is Viking the losses. funeral. Yeah, uh, so I'll just list them. Cam Harris, Mike McKenzie, Nathan Hurst, Andrew Carroll, Jason Wynn, J.J. Edwards, Thompson McKnight, Isaiah Massa-Kelly. There's probably some more that we're forgetting, but basically this entire team has more or less turned over to a huge crop of rookies. And these guys that have been the staple of the Toronto Rush really since, you know, 2013, 2014, 2015, uh, all through 2019, and they started to ease back in 2021 a bit. Uh, I think the torch has officially been passed to this new generation. Um Things we know, uh, Phil Turner is back with the team, and he, I just think he showed probably the most growth of any Rush player last season with his ability to stop really any cutter in Canada downfield consistently. He is a he huge a body. What? He was a force. He really was, and he, I, I feel like he got a good variety of blocks too. He was yeah. getting hand blocks, he was laying out on underneath throws. Really felt like a, a test super well rounded defender. Anything yeah, deep I, he was eating. Right. And he I think he made plays on the offensive side too after turnovers. He's really just, yeah, like you said, an absolute force in the deep space, but really uh felt like, you know, their go to turnover generator last season. I would expect that to continue this season i guess the bigger question is like who who's playing around him they just have so many young rookies uh the biggest question is just how will these rookies respond to inheriting this storied rush franchise that has been the second most winning franchise in audl history second most wins to the madison radicals you know it's just it's a completely new era and we kind of felt the new era beginning in 2021 but you know even then i was hoping like mike mckenzie at least would stick around for for the new oh. rush era but he's gone and nathan hurst leaving it's it's tough i and so i think you know to sum things up the rush are probably the the biggest question mark we have and like we can't really 
predict uh, much success for them without having seen the vast majority of their players play in the AUDL. But I don't know. I, I guess I'd be optimistic for Rush fans. It feels like a lot of these rookies are coming from a, a specific uh, high school system. And, and I think the the general sense in Toronto is like, you know, they're they're kind of all in to this rebuild. So, you know, maybe 2022 isn't their year, but I think just seeing what they can do and, and seeing guys like maybe Wilkie Lewis and Luke Comire like develop a bit more that have been with the team for a couple years now, uh, you know, I think there's just going to be a lot of just promising experiences from the 2022 season, or I would hope for them, for the rush. You know, they've got a great head coach in Adrian Yearwood. He was obviously with the team for years and years, won a championship with them in 2013 as a star for them that year, uh, a complete Canada legend. So I, I do expect them to bring some kind of, you know, pride. Toronto Ultimate yeah. is the oldest organ in, you know, uh, Canadian Ultimate. Like, they have the richest and winningest tradition across divisions and everything. So I kind of expect the rush to tap a little bit into that. I'm just wondering how far that gets them when, like you're saying, there's just so much unproven talent here. Right. There's just so much to go against when, okay, now you've got to go play New York, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. Three wins, maybe two two plus this year would you be happy if you were toronto and you won three games yeah i would say three wins would be a very very good season for this team given that okay. it's, it's the oldest division it has some of the most experience in it it's got two legitimate championship teams at the top and and just given given the losses i mean you're talking about audl legends here with cam harris yes. and thompson mcknight and jeff powell and uh excuse me, uh, Isaiah Masakelli and Andrew Carroll. And even, you know, like they were trending towards legends in their own rights. Nathan Hurst, Mike McKenzie, Jackie Howe, Jason Hume. Yeah. You know, like that second yeah. wave of youngsters who, who showed up right. in the 2017 championship weekend and beat Dallas, who is yeah. the, the runaway favorite to win everything that year and repeat as champions. Uh, Toronto built off of that kind of like new wave of young talent that's gone. Like, it's just, it's a lot, it's a lot to overturn. Uh, and I just it feel is. like when we've seen that in the past in this league, there's, there's growing pains that go with that. But like, like you were saying, I'm really interested to see what trajectory that takes. And I, I totally expect them to be in a, a really good position by the end of the season and really be able to punch with a lot of teams in the division. Yeah, right. I mean, I don't think they're going to like get blown out, especially by Canadian teams. I think they're going to keep themselves in games. And yeah, there's still this like aura of Toronto Ultimate that makes me feel like they can beat Ottawa or Montreal in any given week. Uh, but yeah, it's it's going to be an uphill battle for them for sure. That'll do it for this episode of Swing Pass. Thank you all so much for sticking through with us through this two-hour episode. We will probably run into a similar runtime on Thursday as we go through previews for the South and West divisions. Hopefully, we can be a little bit more tidy then, uh, but we just want to thank you again, loyal listener, for always tuning in. If you listen to us through 
somewhere that gives us a rating. If you could give us a five-star rating and obviously share where applicable, tell your friends about us. Uh, we love doing this and we really appreciate you. Uh, thanks as always. And we'll be talking to you in just two more days. And we are just 11 days out from the start of the 2022 season. So close. Thank you.